So if you have your Bibles or your phones, um, I'd like you to uh, take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea. Turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea is very hard to find because it's a very short book, um, and it's sandwiched in the middle of all these different prophets of the Old Testament. So if you need to go to your table of contents, that's what I had to do. No shame. Go to the table of contents. We're going to go into the book of Hosea. It's after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. So after the major prophets, towards the beginning of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. So Hosea. And we're going to turn to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Before I go into the message, I'm I'm hoping that you guys found the place already. Let me pray for us. Father, as we sang earlier today, as we declared and proclaimed earlier today, we're looking to you. We're not allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed. We're trusting, God, that you're fully in control. We're trusting, God, that you are the God who's leading us. You are the head of the church. You're the head of the body. You are the good shepherd that leads your people in the way to go. And I pray, God, that as we read your word, you would sensitize our spirit, that we wouldn't be hardened or callous to your word. But you give us that tenderness of heart, and you allow your word to pierce our hearts. We know that there's actual power in your word. It's not just words written on a page. But we trust, God, that there is actual active power in your word to transform our minds, to shepherd our hearts, to guide our decisions, to transform us from the inside out. So we look to your word as the ultimate authority, and we ask, God, that we would begin to see our situations, see our personal situations, our church situations, all the things, Lord God, that are surrounding us. We would see these things through the lens of the truth of your word. We thank you, Father. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump into Hosea chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of context before we actually read the text for today. So there's many different prophets in the Old Testament, and one of them is Hosea. Timeline-wise, I know that in the order in the Bible, he's not at the very end, but timeline-wise, it's believed that he's one of the last ones before actually the New Testament time. He's one of the last Old Testament prophets. And what's so particular about this guy called Hosea um, is that he's not just some guy delivering the news. He's not just some guy who's sitting and having a really good quiet time and then God speaks to him and then he writes these things down and he kind of hands this over to the people of Israel. This is someone that God gripped in his presence. He gripped him. He gripped him through his word and he led him to live a life that would live out the words that he's receiving. So this is not somebody who's unaffected distant, kind of other from this word. This is somebody who lived through something that God was calling him to walk through. And from that place, he prophesied God's heart, God's intent, God's uh, heartbreak even over the people of Israel. So it's not somebody saying, look, Israel, you need to get your act together. You need to shape things up. Man, God's going to come and strike you if you don't. Like This is someone who experiences the pain, the heartbreak, the betrayal that God has experienced 
from the people of Israel. This is somebody who is heavily personally invested in this message. And from that place, he prophesies these words. So we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 14. Fourteen until the very end. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. I hope that's okay with many of you who have the ESV instead. So Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I'll remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. This is a passage that doesn't come at the beginning of the story. This is a passage that comes smack dab in the middle of the betrayal. So if you were to read through the rest of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 and chapter 1, God asked Hosea, this mortal man, to marry Gomer, to marry actually a prostitute. And he asked her to marry. I don't know how I would feel if somebody that you consider a man of God Marries a prostitute, right? And this is not a prostitute who's super repentant and all that. Like still, you know, still in the midst of refining, still in the midst of sanctification. So God calls this man of God to marry this prostitute. And God already knows that she's going to betray him. But he asks this man of God to fully give himself over to this unworthy woman to come together in union God already knows that there's going to be betrayal. She is slowly going to, going to turn her eyes away from her husband and go back to her lovers. She's going to go back to her old ways. And it's in that tension that God calls him to go back to her and bring her back to him. This is before she has repented. This is before she has turned around and said, I'm sorry. This is in the midst of the betrayal, God is giving Hosea a heart to go after her, call her back, and when you do, you will be one one more time, and she will not turn away from you again. And this was an allegory. This was a metaphor for God's relationship with Israel. God called Israel out of nothing, out of nothing. It was a random nation in a random place in the world, 
And God, just because he desired it, just because he favored them, no merit of their own, he just decided to call these people his own people. And at the beginning, they're all about it. Yeah, like, this is my God, you know? But then it doesn't take too long for the human heart to begin to turn. It doesn't take too long for us to stray away from our first love, from our one love. In the same way, Israel began to look to other gods, other idols, began to boast in her military, uh, in her military strength, began to boast about the riches and influence in the midst of all these things. Israel began to turn her heart away from the God that had saved her. And then God, in his mercy, he has delayed this process. But there will be a day when he calls back this nation to himself. It is written in the Bible, and it is yes and amen according to the promises of Jesus. There's going to be a day when God brings back his people to himself, and he's going to make them his own. Now, you might be wondering why on earth I'm preaching about this, right? As I was just thinking through the journey that we've been going through here as a church, a lot of the things that God has exposed in this last year has actually been out of mercy. It's been very hard to see idolatry come up. It's been very hard to see arrogance come up, selfishness come up. All these different things that we thought we were free from. We thought, oh, that's a problem with another church. It's not our church. You know, our church is great. Our church is in love with the Lord. But in our blindness and in our arrogance and our pride, we've turned away from the Lord in many different ways. And we've begun to worship other things, worship maybe even our reputation. Maybe the new Philly brand, maybe the numbers of people that we have, the buildings that we have, the number of church plants that we have. In the midst of it, we've lost sight of our first love. And as bad as everything that has been happening the last year has been, I sense so much mercy and so much grace that the Lord, instead of just letting us be, and building our own kingdom to our own selves, building our own little personal tower of Babel for our own glory, instead of letting us go that route, he very graciously has intervened in our church. Very graciously. I would hate to see this happening 20 years down the road. You know, if we've been going full throttle in the wrong direction for 20 years. Can you imagine that? That would have been really tragic. But God in his mercy, he's choosing to intervene right now, call us to repent, call us to turn to his first love once again. And if that means giving up certain things, we need to be ready to do it. If that means changing the way that we do ministry, we need to do it. Whatever it looks like, we're simply asking the Lord, Lord, you need to do whatever you want to do. Just get us back to where we need to be. Just get us back to you. That's all that matters right now. That is our first priority right now. And so as all these changes were coming up about, man, moving buildings, like what's happening with our finances, how many staff are we still going to have on board by next year, all these different things that are kind of shaking us from our status quo from the last however many years. We're like for seven years, we're kind of just like increase, increase, increase. And all of a sudden we're like, whoa, okay, things are kind of breaking down. And we're kind of being awakened to the fact that we're unhealthy, that we have all kinds of idolatry. We have all kinds of self-sufficiency. 
in the midst of all this, God has been so gracious to stop us dead in our tracks and call us back to him. And so as we were talking about all these different changes that are coming, and even the prospect of going back, you know, to our Shilim sanctuary and then starting almost from scratch, it feels. I feel like God was highlighting this particular chapter, this, par- this particular passage. It is in his grace and in his mercy that is, he's leading his beloved into the desert. Not that Shilim is a desert, right? Shilim is not a desert. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Shilim, I'm sorry. If you're watching this, I'm sorry. That's not what I mean. I think of it more as a desert season, right? A lot of refining, a lot of pruning, a lot of exposing things that were inside all along. And God is confronting us head on. He's not playing games right now. Like he's head on exposing all these different things in love to confront it and to make us like him. And so he's leading us through the seasons, through this desert season. And he's speaking tenderly to us. He's not smacking us in the face. He's not punching us. He's speaking tenderly to us throughout the season. Well, the last thing we deserve right now is tenderness. After everything, you're right. He's speaking tenderly to us. He wants to give us back our vineyards. He wants to make the valley of acre or the valley of trouble. He's going to make it a door of hope. And we will come to the place where we can sing as in the days of our youth, as in the day we came up out of Egypt. I feel like that is God's heart. And I keep questioning myself. You know, I'm the kind of person who's like, but why? Right? I need to know the why. As long as you tell me the why, the purpose behind it, I'm willing to basically do however much, suffer however much, sacrifice however much. I just need to know the why behind it. Give me a vision. Give me understanding. Give me purpose. And then I'm willing to go through all that. And I feel like this is what the Lord has been highlighting for me. This whole season for Gomer, for Hosea's wife, is to rid her of her idols once and for all. He's going to corner her to the place where she has no access to her idols. And she will solely lean on her beloved once again. And I feel like in so many ways, that's what God is after right now. And if that's what it is, then I'm all for it. If at the end of this process, we're going to be more in love with Jesus than ever before. If we're going to look more like Jesus than ever before. We're going to be more wholehearted in our passion for him. More abandoned in our sacrifice for him. If that's where we're going, if that's the fruit from this season, then I am down for that. Take however many buildings you want to take. Rearrange however much you want to rearrange. Put me through whatever discomfort, whatever, oh man, I'm going to have to go to a different campus. I'm going to put me through all that. As long as what we're heading towards is a church that has fixed their eyes on Jesus and will not let go. And if that would, if that's what God is after, what sacrifice is too much, right? If we're going to end up Maybe with fewer people, who knows? Maybe with fewer campuses, who knows? But man, like totally, madly, wildly in love with Jesus once again. We see the spirit moving once again. We see people healed, delivered, saved, lives transformed, 180 turns overnight once again. 
If we get to that point once again, then all this change, all this discomfort, all this awkward transition period in the middle, it's so worth it to me. I'm willing to go through whatever I need to go through in order to get to that point. And my heart, and I feel like God's heart, behind all of this last year has been, I am going to get Nephili back to the place where I am her only love, where I am her everything, where they don't look to their reputation, they don't look to their social media presence, they don't look to all these things are good. They don't look to their buildings, they don't look to their numbers. That's not where their value comes from anymore. That's not where their worth comes from anymore. They're just going to fix their eyes on Jesus and he's going to be more than enough. And that's what I feel like God is after. Underneath all of this, I feel like that is the motivation underlying all of this. God is after our hearts. He's waging war against our idols. He's waging war against our distractions. He's waging war against all these different things that could derail us from the destiny that God has for this church. And he's leading us to that place humbly, brokenly, and yet faithfully to that place where we see him as our one and only source of joy, hope, reward, sustenance, value. Until he brings us to that place. This is a really jealous God. A God who is not okay with compromise. This is not a God who is okay with adultery here and there. Idolatry here and there. He's a God who's after all of us. After the entirety of our hearts. The entirety of our lives. That's how jealous he is for his people. And it is in his love and in his compassion. That he's leading us through this season. My prayer is that we as a church would trust them in the process. I think there's going to be many, many opportunities along the way where we're going to second guess this thing. We're going to think like, ah, is it the right decision? Like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't think I can do this afternoon thing. Or like, I don't know if I can make it all the way to Shilim. Shilim's not that far, by the way. Um, but all these inconveniences, they're going to test us in the next few months. And it's going to take a lot of flexibility but more than anything, it's going to take trust. Trusting that the Lord is doing everything that he needs to do. He is setting us up. He's not sending us out to die. He is setting us up for revival, for restoration, for hope, for vision, for growth. All the things that we've been wanting. But he's going to do it on his own terms, in his own way, and in his own timing. That's what I'm trusting the Lord is going to do in our church. So as we walk through this upcoming, you know, months, I don't know how you're taking the news, and I don't know how much on board you are with all this. But I want to ask you, at the very least, to partner with us in prayer. Like, we're going to need the grace of God to get through this thing. It's not just a matter of willpower. We're going to need the grace of God. So I want us to partner together in prayer, simply in surrender. God, whatever you want to do, just do it. Break past our defenses. Break past our resistance. Break past our stubbornness. Just get us to where you need us to be. Help us surrender to your will, to your hand. Help us discern where you're leading us. 
And we together as a community, we want to move forward.